Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Church. Good morning, guys. You guys awake this morning? If you're not, you just were. You were just shaking, right, when I screamed? Well, good morning, good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, first of all, I want to say to our guests, thank you so much for being here today. If it's your very first time here, can we give a, a round of applause for our guests and thank them, make them feel welcome? We're so glad you guys are here today. We are uh, celebrating, of course, it's Easter Sunday, and today is the day that we celebrate that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and, and so we're, we're going to talk about that today a little bit, and, and the uh, message today is called Highway to Hell. Before we, we kind of jump into that, I got a question for you. How many of you guys are currently into American Idol? How many of you guys would say, hey, that's my show, I watch that every time it comes on? How many of you used to watch American Idol? Okay, so that's a lot more of you. All right, Fantastic. How many of you guys that have watched the show have ever taken time to vote for one of the, one of the contestants on American Idol? It's only four of you. The rest of you are just too embarrassed to admit it? All right. So you text in or you called in your vote? All right. I have to be perfectly honest with you. I, I've never actually really enjoyed the show. The reason is, is this is a program that is all about uh, singing. It's a contest for singers to find the next pop star. And I'm not really into pop music. I like rock. Uh, I like a little bit of country. I, I like a little bit of everything. Pop is not really the, the world that I hang out in. My kids like it, and so I, I know some of the music. But I'm not really interested in the next pop singer. And, uh, and that's what this show is all about, is to find the next person. So I'm not really interested in the program. And, and you know, if you don't like the program, maybe you're interested in the process, you know, like the whole, the whole process that they go through in order to become the next American Idol. And I'm not really interested in that either. In fact, they go through this whole thing where they sing every week and then there's some voting. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm pretty sure the voting is rigged. Like they choose who they want no matter how you guys text or call in, right? How many of you all feel the same way as I do? Yeah, okay, so that's maybe why you stopped watching the show. All right. Well, I, I don't enjoy that whole process. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a part of the process that I do enjoy uh, watching, and that's the tryouts. How many of you guys enjoy watching the auditions? It's kind of like watching like religious television or a train wreck. You know, it was all this blood and gore, and you know you shouldn't watch it, but you can't stop looking at it. You know, and uh, and so so you you watch that, and I do enjoy that part, but I don't really enjoy the program, and I don't really enjoy the process. But I would say the reason, and and if you would kind of narrow it down to what you do like about the show, you, you're probably in the same place I do. You don't really enjoy those parts of it. What, what gets you hooked is that the producers are really smart. When they put this show together, not only do they have the program, we're going to find the next pop star and the process, the, the, the elimination, all that stuff that they go through, but they tell a story. See, all the stars that are going to go on and, and stay in the show, and some of them that don't really, some of the auditions, they, they take you to their hometown. They tell you a little bit about them. They, sometimes they take you into their house and go into their creepy bedrooms, you know, and, and, like, and then they, they tell you about their life or they tell you about the tragedies in their life and so that you, you get a soft spot for this person or they tell you about their, their community service and how they serve or where they go to church. They want you to get connected with a person 
Because they believe that if you get connected with a person that you will all of a sudden become a fan of the show and that you will be engaged with the show, that you will watch the show from the beginning to the end. And, uh, and so they, they realize that and that's why they put those in there and that's why they tell their stories and do all these things because they realize that the show isn't really about the program and the process. They realize that it's about a person. You become a fan of a person and you follow them all the way to the point where they get voted off. And then by then, you know, you're kind of curious who is going to win. So maybe you watch it until the end. That's their hope. And you find yourself rooting for that person because it's not about the program. It's not about the, prog- the process. It's all about the person. And when it becomes per- personal, we're forced to pay a little more attention. So what happens as we watch American Idol uh, for all of us is what I hope happens for you in Jesus. My hope is that, that uh, let's be honest, for, you, for many of you guys here in this room, Christianity has become more of the process, right? It, it's become the process that you're burnt out on. You, you open your Bible or you come to church and you hear a message and you're like, oh, I, I can't do it. I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. And so you walk away from church with your head hung down like, man, I didn't do it right this week. Or you walk away from reading your Bible and you look at your life in comparison to the scriptures and how we're supposed to live. And you're like, man, I didn't do it right again. I can't do this. I don't have the power to do this. I, I'm not living this way. And so we get a little burnout on the process because we're like, I can't do this. I just, I just can't. And if it's not the process that burns you out, it's the program because you come to church and, and there's so many programs you gotta do. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna say yes to Jesus. We, we, then we've gotta get baptized and then there's five keys to having hope and there's seven keys to our abundance and our finances and there's all these programs. There's men's groups, there's women's groups, there's Bible studies, this and that, this program, 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 program and you're just like, I can't get to all of them in order to be the best Christian possible. So we get burned out on the program. So Christianity's been all about that. And that's why on Easter weekend, I don't want to talk to you about a program. I don't want to talk to you about a process. What I want to talk to you about is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Because I believe that if you can get connected with Jesus, the guy who not only died for our sins, but also died to put to death the program and the process, that you will be more engaged. I believe that, that you can set aside your burnout on the program and the process. Because he died to show us the way to heaven and how to have an abundant life here on earth. And all of that is through a person, and that person is Jesus. So I know two things about every person in this room. I know that everybody wants a full and abundant life. If I had a sign-up table out in the lobby for the full abundant life and the miserable life, nobody would be at the sign-up table for the miserable life. Well, maybe a few of you. I'm not sure. Some of you like to hang out there. You don't have to. You can get in the abundant life line. The other thing I know about, about all of you is that When you die, you want to go to heaven. You want to spend eternity there in heaven. Again, if I had a sign-up table out there for hell, there'd be nobody in line there. And you'd have to resist the temptation of standing in the long line of people that are signing up for heaven and going, the line's shorter over there, honey. We could probably get in a lot faster. Like, look, this this is not a restaurant. This is not a checkout line, okay, out of the grocery store. This is eternity that we're talking about, okay? So it's important. You know, I've never understood, uh, or I've never met anybody who understood what hell was all about, who really wanted to go there. Because there, there's two realities about hell. There are people here who are living the life that you weren't intended to live, and if you died today, you'd go to hell. And that's not necessary, and that's why I want to tell you about a person. His name is Jesus, and this is what he said. We're going to dive into the scriptures today. I'm going to be in John 14. If you need a Bible, we'd love to bless you with one. If you just put your hand in the air, one of our service hosts will get you a Bible. If we didn't run out after first service, I'm not sure. 
But if you need one, just put your hand in the air or the verses are going to be up on the screen. And it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's what Jesus said. And I know that there's people here today that say Jesus was a great person and he taught great lessons, but that's where you kind of want to, you want to cut him off because you don't believe that he's the only way to heaven. Look, I have to be honest with you. If Jesus is not the way to heaven, then Jesus is not a good person because he's a liar. Because Jesus is the one who said, I am the way. And if he's not the way, he's not a good person because he just lied to all of our faces. So today, I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to talk to you about the person and how we can know for sure that we can have the best life on this side of eternity and how we can go to heaven on the other side of eternity. We know that Jesus, who declared, I am the way, we know that he is the way because of two things. The first thing is because of what he said. We know that he is the way because of what he said. I think it's, it's kind of funny. We, we, we pay attention to people in our lives that we perceive are important, whether it's for your whole life or even just at the time. And if you don't feel like somebody is important, you will completely ignore what they have to say. How many of you have children by a show of hands? How many of you have ever babysat kids? Okay. How many of you just have been around kids at all if you're not in those other two categories? Great. Okay. So that's everybody in this room is familiar with kids. And you know that spending any time with a kid, the moment a kid says, I got to go potty, that is an important voice you want to listen to. Amen? Because if you don't take that kid to a potty, the minute that they say, I got to go, you are going to wind up cleaning up human waste from someplace that you don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? And it could be right in the middle of Walmart, right? Your kid has found like a pot or something in the gardening section and is going, or maybe there's a toilet in the plumbing section and he's found it. You better pay attention, right? It's when you perceive that that voice is important, you will listen to it. I, I told this first service, it really didn't have anything to do with it. When I was a kid, I, I learned that, uh, that my dad's voice was really, really important. And he said, when you're in the pool, don't come into the house dripping wet. That was my dad's voice. I perceived that was important. And so we learned that we could pee out in the bushes, uh, you know, at my mom's house. It's fine. You know, there's, there's bushes and it's fenced in. It's no big deal. And um, as, I, as I got older, I had kids. And so I've taught my kids the same way. Hey, we don't go into the house, you know, and we, we, we just pee outside. And that's a great lesson when they understand it within the context of Mama's yard. It's not a great thing when you're at the public pool and you're reading a book and you look up and your kid's standing between two chairs and there's a fake bush here and they're like this, just letting it all go. Just feeling the breeze with their pants at their ankles. It's nothing to do with the sermon, but it's fun. The point is, if you consider what your kids are saying is important at that time, you can avoid a huge, embarrassing mess. And I'm telling you today that if you will consider what Jesus says as important, then you can avoid a huge, embarrassing, painful mess as well. Because here's what Jesus said. In Matthew seven thirteen through 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. You'll notice the way that is written, so you can't just read your Bible. You need to read it and understand what it's saying. That is a command. That's not a suggestion. He's like, hey, if you'd like to, there's this gate over here. It's kind of narrow, but you can get through it. Or there's this other way. He, he doesn't do that. There's not a suggestion here. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the highway to hell. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. That's what Jesus said. 
Now, I understand the pushback to a passage of scripture like this is Jesus isn't suggesting this. He's telling you the way. And the pushback that I get from a lot of people is we don't like to be told what to do. We're not really big fans of authority. So Jesus is taking an authoritative role in our lives. And he is saying, this is the way to go. He's declaring, I am the way. And you're like, whatever. Don't tell me what to do. That's where, that's where a lot of us are. We just don't like that. We don't dig authority. And Jesus is speaking in this authority with they're speaking in this verse with authority, and he's saying there's one way to heaven, and it's very narrow, and it's me. And we don't like that. We say, don't tell me what to do, Jesus. You ever been stuck in traffic before? Sitting in traffic, and you're waiting, and all you want to do is just go left, but there is a traffic cop right ahead of you, and all he's doing is letting you go right. You're like, daggone it, the donut shop is right there. But he's going to make you go right. And you're going to have to go into Target and turn around and come back around to get where you want to go. But if you don't listen to this cop, to the traffic cop, you're going to wind up in a place you don't want to be because, see, he's probably redirecting you for a reason. He's been assigned there for a purpose, to send you a different way. And if you don't listen to that authority, you're going to find yourself in trouble because, see, what's on the other side where he's not allowing you to go is possibly a hundred-car pileup where you're going to sit for hours and hours on a freeway while they lifelight people who are dying or medically in trouble, and you're just going to sit there and you're going to be stuck on a freeway, and you better hope you've got a sleeping bag or a Frisbee or something to do and that your phone doesn't die and you don't run out of gas. You know what I'm saying? It's a horrible situation. He's trying to keep you from that. Or maybe there's a bridge that's out ahead and he's not letting you go drive off of it. But if you insist, maybe he'll let you go and he'll just follow you and film it. I don't know. But when we resist authority that way, we don't realize that they're there for your benefit, for my benefit, for your benefit, to keep you from whatever is up ahead. They do that to help you. And, what Je- and when Jesus tells us to do something, it isn't so that he can exercise his authority. It's not like parents, when we tell our kids to do something, and they say, why? And we go, because. That's why. This is not, there's, there's actually an explainable reason why Jesus wants you to do something. He wants it to go well with us, and he wants to keep you from reaching a place of destruction. That's why he said in the verse, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the highway to hell. And he's trying to keep you off of it. Now here's the reality. Every one of us in this room is going to die. Two guaranteed things, right? Death and taxes. We're all going to die at some point in time. I think you'd all agree with me that if you were to calculate 100 years from now and look at your calendars, you're all doing nothing except looking at the grass. We're all going to be dead in 100 years. Can we all agree on that? That every single one of us in this room is likely to be gone. What's staggering for you, and this is the reality as well, is that sometime next year, people in this very room may not be here either. And I don't mean here in this building, I mean gone from this earth. That's a reality. Because tomorrow's not promised to any of us. The Bible says that. We're not promised anything. In James, it describes our life like a vapor. Have you ever stepped outside on a cold morning and you breathe out and you can see the smoke and then the wind blows and it's gone? That's what James says our life is like. It's not guaranteed to be there. It's not going to hang around. We won't be here for very long. If you don't believe that, let me tell you how close I came to it this week. My dog passed away on Sunday evening, about 2 in the morning. After we have a sermon about learning to laugh at our pain, I texted him and said, man, I needed that. But my dog was happy, happy, happy on Sunday. 
All the way through the afternoon, we came home about 8 o'clock, and he began having some difficulties. We called the vet, and we made an appointment for in the morning. And within a few hours, he was gone. You say, yeah, that's just a dog. But look, let me tell you something. The same life that was in my dog is, is in us, and it slips away like that. It's gone. We have no idea. Death is no respecter of persons, and we all have a date with it that we won't be late to. Someday, we will all die. And according to the Bible, when we step out of this life and into eternity, we will either enter into a place called heaven or we will enter into a place called hell. And again, I know the pushback here. You don't believe in hell. You don't believe that it's actually a place that we will go to. But Jesus said there was a hell. So if you don't believe there is a hell and you're saying that there's not one, you're calling him a liar. And once again, you can't honestly believe that he was a good man with good things to say if he was a liar. There is a hell. And I think people misunderstand it. I think we walk around and we use this word. We, we've kind of softened its appeal or its image in our mind because why else could we walk around and, and tell somebody, man, it's hot as hell out here, right? Like, like, no, dude, you have no idea how hot hell is. It is not this. Or I heard a guy the other day say, man, it's cold as hell out here. I'm like, dude, no, just stop. You know what I mean? Just, if that's you and you say it's cold as hell, just, just stop. It is not cold as hell. Or we look at people and we tell them to go to hell. And I think the reason we do that is because we don't understand it. Because hell, according to the Bible, is a place of eternal torment where people go who don't know Jesus Christ. Essentially, hell is God giving you for eternity what you wanted here on earth. See, on earth, you'll say to God, no, I want nothing to do with your Jesus. And he says, I'll give you that. And I'll also give you that for eternity. Because that's what hell is. It's separation from God. And I know you think I'm just trying to scare you by talking about hell. And I've got to be honest with you. I wish I could scare you. I wish I could make you a little afraid. Because a lot of us are asleep to the, to the reality of what's happening in our lives. A lot of us are not even spiritually awakened yet. If I can scare you and awaken you to the possibility that Jesus loves you and that you need to accept him. And that you can avoid the disaster that you're headed towards. Then I would to God that I could scare you. I would more hope that you would respond to the love that you learned that he has shed for you and what he did on, on Calvary. I would hope that when you learn about his love, you would say, I can give my life to that. I want to be a part of that. But if it takes me scaring you, I'll do it. See, I'm not afraid to talk about hell because I'm not going there. I'm not going. I know Jesus. That's my past out of here. He's either going to take me in a rapture before I die or when I die, the moment I pass from this world, I will open my eyes and meet my Savior. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of hell. But if you're afraid of hell, if talking about this scares you, maybe today you need to make a decision about who Jesus is in your life. And we'll give you that opportunity in a moment. I know there's some of you here that you say you don't believe in hell or, or maybe you do believe in hell and, and, and you don't think that you're going to go there. And why, why don't you think you're going to go to hell? Well, because you know somebody worse than you. You've got a brother that is just way, he behaves in a manner that is not like you. Anybody have a brother like that? I'm not saying I do. <laughs> That's him laughing the hardest over there. No, but seriously, you, you, you can't compare yourself to somebody else and say, well, they're, they're way worse than I am. That's why I'm not going to hell. Hell's made for them. You, you, you can't do that. 
You know who we do get to compare ourselves to? Jesus. That's who we have to compare ourselves to because, see, you don't have to be good to get into heaven. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. And there's nobody in this room that is perfect, not even me. We don't live our lives perfectly. We won't live our lives perfectly. We haven't up till this point lived perfectly. And we have to compare ourselves to Jesus. How many of you guys enjoy a good action flick? Anybody out there enjoy a good action flick? How many have seen the movie Taken? Or Taken 2? Or Taken 3? Okay, fantastic. It's all the same movie, pretty much. And if you were to look up this movie on the internet, and you see the title Taken, and you go to the synopsis, which kind of explains what the story is all about, it's just one word, and it says Taken. That's, that's pretty much what's happening here. Uh, the, uh, if you've never seen the movie, I'll explain it to you. But it's, it's uh, Liam Neeson is the main character, and he is hardcore buddy. And uh, his daughter goes on a European trip with some friends, and while she's there, she gets taken. She gets taken, and she's drugged and forced into sex slavery, and she's on the auction block and is going to be sold to the highest bidder. And Liam Neeson says, I don't know who you are, I don't know where you are, but I have a certain set of skills, and I will find you. And in that moment, as a dad, a guy who has three kids, I'm like, yeah, you will. <laughs> get him. And every person that he shoots up and pow, 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 the whole way through, I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm going to tell you this, the bad guy gets it in the end. That's why there's a Taken 2 and a Taken 3. Yeah, sorry, just spoiler alert. And maybe that reveals some of my sinfulness. I don't care. As a parent, you will understand when one of your little cubs gets threatened, you will bolt out the front door and lose your ever-loving mind to go protect a kid. You know what I'm saying? And when it's all done, you'll go, it'll be like the Incredible Hulk. Your clothes are torn and you don't even know what happened. Like, what just happened to me? It's a true story. But we all, we all can celebrate the end of that because we all can agree that the bad guy has to die. The bad guy has to pay. He deserves that. And I have to be really honest with you. Here's the situation in comparison to Jesus on this earth. You and I, we're the bad guy. We're the bad guy. Jesus lived a perfect, sin, sinless life. And we have lived a life that is full of sin. According to the Bible, our lives, we have to pay with our lives for the sin that we have committed. There is a punishment that is due us. The bad guys, that's us, deserve to die. In Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Chapter 3 continues in verse 23 and, or, and says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look, every single one of us in the sight of God is a bad guy. And that's why Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the highway to hell. And many enter through it. That's what's scary, is that many are going to be on this road. Many of us that think that we are on the narrow are actually on the highway to hell today. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, look, eternal life is not something that we earn. It is something that we find, not in a program, not in a process. We find it in a person, and that's Jesus. A lot of you in your room, the biggest issue that you have with Christianity is that it's so narrow. See, Jesus says, I'm the only way. But if you look into other religions and study them out, Mormon, Muslim, Buddhism, all of them, they all say that they are the only way. There's not a single one that you can find that says, hey, go your own way, do whatever you want to do. That any way will get you to God. 
So what Jesus said was that he's the only way. But the way we know that Christianity is different from all the other major religions is not just because of what he said, but because of what Jesus did. It's because of what he did. You ever heard the phrase, like a lamb to the slaughter? You know what this is talking about? If you ever visit a slaughterhouse, or maybe YouTube it, I I don't know if you're morbid like me and are interested in things like this, but you can just read about it maybe. But a lamb walks right into the slaughterhouse, happy, carefree, has no idea that it's heading there. No idea. Laughing all the way with its buddies, bleating, just going straight into the slaughterhouse. They're not nervous. They trust. And as they walk in, if we could zoom in on some of their conversations, I wonder if we would hear one of them going, Hey, Betty. You know, Bonnie went to the big house last week. She ain't been back. I'll bet it's really nice over there. Must be like heaven. And so they go. And so they go. But if you are standing there watching all this happen, there's two things you're going to realize. The first thing you're going to realize is you don't have it as bad as they do. You've got, you're better off than they are. And the second thing you'll realize is that if you really wanted to help those sheep, there's only one thing you could do. And that's rescue them. Because see, a sheep headed to the slaughterhouse doesn't, doesn't need to be encouraged. Come on, buddy, you can do this. You can do it. Just, just lay down your life. It's going to be okay. They don't need to be encouraged. A sheep headed to the slaughterhouse doesn't need a show from Dr. Phil or Oprah about sheep in crisis. They don't need a song about how sheep will overcome. What, what they need is to be rescued. Because their end is death and destruction. And Jesus knew that you and I are like those sheep. They don't need good words to follow. Not just from Jesus. Jesus knew the best thing that he could do was to rescue us and to set us free. And he's what ultimately sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion says, this is what you have to do to get to God. But Christianity says, this is what I've done to get to you. It's what God has done to get to you. To get us away from destruction and off the highway to hell. Because there is punishment for our sins. That day is coming. We do deserve death. We will answer for it if we stay on the highway to hell. But Jesus paved the way. So that you could turn from that and get on the straight and the narrow. You can live an abundant life now and have eternity on the other side. Or have, have heaven on the other side of eternity. That's what Jesus did for us. It's not good enough just to know that. You actually have to accept that gift. And we'll give you an opportunity here in just a moment. So I have a question for you. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you really know him? Are you acquainted with his story? Oh, you may know the program and the process of a church. You may know what it looks like to come every Sunday and to get dressed up or to get dressed down, however you roll. That's how we roll. You know know what it's all about. But, but do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about my Jesus. 
Jesus was around long before the world ever began. He was in eternity past. I know that's a hard thing to fathom. If you think, sit and think about it, your brain will just spin out of control. He was sitting on a throne in heaven as God's son. He was there when the world was created. It was through him that it was done. And he's sitting on his throne in majesty and splendor with angels at his beck and call. Heaven. You know, there's some authors in the Bible who were actually given visions of Jesus before he came to this earth. And those that saw him in his glorified splendor, when they saw him, feared for their life and fell on their faces. Jesus was awesome to behold. And he gave up the splendor and the glory of heaven and he came to earth because he knew that he needed to lay his life down. Now, I don't just mean die for you. I mean literally lay all of that down and come. He was born of humble circumstances in a manger. He was born to a carpenter. And he lived a sinless life here for 30 years. And at the end of those 30 years, he began his ministry. Let me tell you about his ministry because not only did he preach things that were inspiring and life-transforming, but who was Jesus found with when he was here? The outcasts. The people in society that nobody liked. Tax collectors. The lepers who were literally untouchable, Jesus touched. The prostitutes that nobody would have dinner with. Jesus did. Jesus did. He was loved and known for being with them. The religious leaders of the day, even though Jesus was a rabbi and taught God's word, he was hated because he wouldn't hang with them. He wouldn't honor them. He said, I'm not here for people like you. I'm here for those that are sick and that are broken. And he spent three years doing ministry, healing people, telling them about God's love for them. And at the end of his life, the last week of his life, he heads to Jerusalem. Now, if you were ever a kid and you had a coloring book or you were in Sunday school, they probably gave you a little sheet of Jesus as he rode onto a donkey and everybody laid down palm leaves and everybody's shouting and cheering and you see Jesus, he's doing the queen wave, you know, like he was riding in a Corvette, you know, smiling real big and he's waving at everybody. But I can guarantee you that, that that's not how it happened. That maybe they were cheering for him, maybe they were laying down the palm leaves, but as Jesus rode in on a donkey, he had his eyes set on Calvary because he knew that he came for one reason to Jerusalem, and that was to die for me and for you. And so he's there, he spends the week in Jerusalem, he has dinner with his disciples, and he has the Passover dinner, and that's where they take the first communion. It's after this dinner, and dur actually during this dinner, that Jesus dines with somebody that he knows is going to betray him. I want you to think about that. True betrayal. If you've ever been betrayed by somebody, you know how painful of an experience that is. And Jesus is not only eating with somebody who hasn't yet, he's, he's sitting with somebody who hasn't yet betrayed him, and yet somebody he knows will. And even when Judas approaches him in the garden to betray him, he says, he calls him friend. Could you do that? This is Jesus and so after dinner, he goes to the garden and prays. And while he's in the garden, he experiences a medical condition called hematidrosis. It's where you sweat drops of blood. He was agonizing so much in prayer that he's literally bleeding. And the guards showed up to take him. Judas had come to betray him. 
And when they showed up, they said, where is this Jesus of Nazareth? And when you read the Bible and the description of it, Jesus says, I am he. And in that moment, all of the guards and all of the men fell to the ground. And you've got to wonder, why did that happen? Jesus possibly revealed himself, revealed his glory for just that moment so that they could see. You don't fall to your face. I don't know if you've ever been scared before. That's how quick you go to the ground. And if they were truly frightened that way, would you really walk up to a man and touch him and yet Jesus yields himself? to them and allows them to take him. And he goes before the religious leaders at the time and they lie about him. They punch him in the face. They yank out, out the hair in his beard. They spit on him. And then they lead him off to the Romans. And they cry out for his death. See, because at the time, the Romans were over Israel. And in order to kill anybody, you had to take them to the Romans. And so Jesus is now standing in front of Pilate. And Pilate says to him, he says, you know I have the power to kill you. And Jesus said, you have no power unless I gave it to you. Ticked off the wrong person. And Pilate says, I'll offer him up to be be crucified. But before, I'm going to have him flogged. Now, if you don't know anything about the flogging, let me tell you about the flogging. See, the flogging was done with something called a cat of nine tails. And a cat of nine tails is a leather whip. It has nine leather pieces on it with bone and rock, and glass, and metal shards all woven throughout it. And what they would do is they would take you to a stump, and they would wrap you around the stump like this. The reason they did this is so that your skin was tight. Have you ever taken a piece of fabric and a piece of paper and just kind of put something sharp to it? What happens? Without much effort. So they stretched him across the pole. And they took that cat of nine tails, and I don't mean to be too graphic, but I think you need to understand what Jesus has done for you. And they whipped him 39 times. And each time the whip would lay into his back, that bone, the glass, the metal, the shards would stick into his back and rip his skin. And then they'd pull. Pieces of his flesh would fall away. Most men would not survive such a beating. Jesus did. And the scripture says that he didn't utter a word through the entire thing. Next, they led him out to his cross they forced him to carry it. Now see, it's one thing to be murdered or to be killed for crimes. It's another thing. See, crucifixion was not just about the, the horrifying death that I'll describe in a moment. No, it was much more than that. It was more about the mental anguish. It was horrific. Because you now had to carry your own cross through your hometown. Through the city where you lived, where your friends and your family would have been. While you were cursed. While you were ashamed while they threw rocks at you and punched you, spit upon you. This is Jesus, the innocent one, carrying his cross through the city to the hill called Golgotha. When they got there, you know the story from here. They laid him out on the cross. They drove spikes through his hands and his feet. And you need to understand how horrible the crucifixion was. See, this was a torture death because they bent his legs and would have nailed him like this. The reason they bend the legs is because when you get hung like this and they actually lifted you up, the first thing that would have happened to Jesus' shoulders is they would have dislocated. The next would have been his wrists. His arms would have been nine inches longer at the time of his death because of the stretching and the dislocation of his body. And he's hanging there. 
And in this collapsed position, your lungs begin to close in and you can't breathe. See, on the cross, you can die of asphyxiation or from the bleeding and the rest of the torment that you've suffered. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. And the only way he can breathe is to lift up. I would challenge you at any time today to just sit here and do this for a little bit with every breath. And tell me how long you can do that. Because Jesus was hung on the cross for six hours that way. And with each breath as he pulls up, he's got nothing to hold him up here. It's just his legs. It's his back that is shredded and looks like hamburgers scraping against the cross just so he can take a breath. See, the torment was there, not only the physical pain of the nails and everything else that he felt, but the the mental horror of being suffocated was very real and kept most of the people that were on the cross alive for as long as possible. The Romans would come by and break their legs so that they would die when they were finished with them. They could hang on the cross for days, but not Jesus. While he was on the cross, they offered him some vinegar. And this vinegar was something the Romans would give him as a cruel joke because it would dull the pain. It was a medication so that he wouldn't feel it. He could stay on the cross longer. Jesus refused it because he wanted to feel every ounce, every bit of it. And in the end, he gives his last breath. And he says, It's finished. What was finished? What was finished? The work he came to do for me and you? Our rescuing. See, we're like sheep headed to a slaughterhouse. We're on a highway to hell. And in order to rescue us, Jesus had to die. They gave that last breath, said it is finished, and he passed. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, they came to break his legs, and he was already gone. And just to check it, they ran a spear through his side. When they did, blood and water flowed out. Now, if you know anything about our bodies, our circulation systems, we had something called a closed circulation system. Our blood flows through our veins. When your heart stops pumping, that's it. But when they punctured that hole in his side... The reason blood would normally flow is because your heart is beating and pushing it out. But with a heart that has stopped for blood and water to gush, made no sense. Medically, Jesus' heart literally burst. Burst because of what he went through. And he did that for me and you to rescue us. So here's my question. Where are you at with all this? Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? We're going to sing a song and then we're going to close out the service. But I'm going to pray for you before we do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray in this moment of reflection as we sing that you would speak to every heart in this room. That you would reveal yourself to us now. Jesus, reveal yourself. Amen.
So where are you at? Do you need to make a decision today? I'd ask for every head to be bowed, every eye closed. I'm giving you that opportunity. Look, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or stand. But I'm going to ask that if you need to know Jesus today, if you would say, Aaron, count me in on a prayer. Because it's been about a process that I can't get right. Or it's been about a program that I can't wrap my head around. But today I've heard about the person. I've heard about this Jesus. And I want to give my life to him in the way that he gave his life for me. I want to lay it all down. My past, my mistakes. Whatever I've ever thought about Jesus or church. I want to have all that he has for me in my life. And I want to spend eternity with him in heaven. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around. If that's you, and you say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer, would you put your hand in the air? Just put it up high so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that honesty. This decision that you'll make today is one that will affect the very trajectory of your life. Because the highway to hell leads to destruction, but the narrow road leads to an abundant life. I'm going to ask one more time because I I feel like there may be somebody that held back. The opportunity passed you by. Everybody's hand went up and yours didn't. But you're like, man, if, if you asked again, so I'm asking again. If you put your hand up once already, you don't need to do it again. But if that's you, this is your opportunity. Don't let it go by you. If you just put your hand in the air and say, that's me, Aaron, today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to give you the words to say. You can just pray them in your heart, but you've got to mean them. And know that, that your life with Jesus begins here and continues every day as you follow him. It goes like this. Pray this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came and died to rescue me. I believe that you rose again so that I could have your Holy Spirit. Give me your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you made that decision today, it's one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make. I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you about that decision today. To talk to you about how and what happens from here. But if you don't take time to talk to me or you don't have an opportunity to speak with me or or Tim, our other pastor here, let me just encourage you, get back here next week. Get connected with the church. Get connected with a community of believers because this is where it begins. This is how you learn. Amen? Church, can we give God a round of applause for the work he's done in our hearts and our lives today? At this time, I will invite our service hosts to come at this time.